Earlier this week, Jahan Dotson was on with Grant and Danny, and he had some interesting things to say. I want you to hear a little bit about that conversation. But first, how confident are you in Sam Howell as the starting quarterback next season? I think it's interesting when you look at this football team. It seems like, as crazy as it sounds, this team could be prepared to go on a run if they had a good quarterback in place. I don't know that they're going to go deep in the playoffs, but... I mean, they could compete in the division. They were competing in the division this season with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. I think it's interesting to see what could this offense become now that you have Eric Bieniemy, now that you have Sam Howell in town. How good can this team be? I mean, seriously, how good can they be? Last season, the defense was solid. I wouldn't say they were great. At times, they were great. But I think they can be better than they were this past year on defense. And I think, really... In terms of the offense the last couple of seasons, unless the quarterback play is just going to somehow get worse than it's been, I think the only way is either staying the same or up. So I think overall this team should improve. But Jahan Dotson earlier this week on Grant and Danny had a couple things to say. First, want to hear what he had to say about Eric Bieniemy being the new offensive coordinator and how excited he is for him to be in town. I was fired up, man. You know, to be able to work with, with such a great mind who who's, has – so much success at the, the highest level of football, you know, it's definitely pretty cool to, to be able to work with someone like that. I mean, I'm extremely excited to, to have the opportunity just to pick his brain a little bit and learn from him um, and, and just be able to, to to be a sponge, you know. So um, I'm really excited for the hire. I can't wait to get to work, and I know there's big things coming this year. I think there's a couple things to take out of that Jahan Dotson interview, a couple things about what he said. But the main thing to take away is Jahan Dotson is an awesome guy. And it's great that he's on this football team. Like, just hearing that answer right there. I'm just glad to have a guy that has won at the highest level and just be a sponge. That's a great answer. That's awesome to hear from your first-round pick last season. And I know a, a lot of people, I don't know if it was a lot of people, but there was a decent number of people that were disappointed even frustrated, didn't like the pick last year of Jahan Dotson. And maybe it was more so with you wanted guys at 11 that you got, didn't get at 16, Kyle Hamilton or Olave. But the guy, Jahan Dotson, that you did draft is a really solid guy. And hearing that answer is awesome to hear because hopefully the guys in that locker room all have a similar type of response to having Eric Bieniemy in there. And I think that's an underrated part of this. It's just the fact that Eric Bieniemy has been around winning. Whether he's a good play caller or not, whether he's a good offensive coordinator without Andy Reid, all of those things. Regardless of all that, he's been around winning. He knows the difference between winning and losing. And I think that's something that hasn't been the case in D.C. in a while. Having Scott Turner in the offensive room with all the guys didn't make you think, all right, he, they're hanging out with a winner, so they're going to, produce winning tendencies. I think that's the case with when you have the enemy in town, you have a winner in town. And so I'm excited to hear that. Real quick, let's also hear what Jahan Dotson had to say about Sam Howell as well in the interview with Grant Danny. Yeah, that's my guy, you know. Um, I'm, I, keep th- I keep using the words, word excited because I'm truly excited. You know, I can't wait for the opportunity for Sam, you know. He 
really got to sit back and learn. He had a different rookie year than I did. You know, he got to sit back and learn the ropes of the NFL through through two very good veterans um, in his room, and Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke. So uh, I know he's ready for the opportunity. He has all the talent in the world. Literally, he, he can make every single throw on the football field, and he, he makes it look effortless. You know, we always say when we're uh, at practice and stuff, you know, he looks so cool in the pocket. Like, he, he makes it look very effortless, the throws that he makes. He, I remember we were playing Dallas, and he hit me and Terry about 50, 60 yards down the sideline, opposite hash, just hit us in stride, you know. And it, it's very hard to do that. That's not an easy thing to do. And he made it look so so easy and so effortless. So, you know, I can't wait for the opportunity for Sam. I can't wait to just build that relationship with him. I'm, I'm already pretty close with him. But, you know, I can't wait for our relationship just to extend. I'm excited to see what Sam Howell can do. And hearing that kind of answer from Jahan, again, maybe it's just the fact that Jahan is good with the media already as a rookie are now going into his second season, and he knows what to say and how to say it. But does that not sound like a guy that would be totally fine rolling with Sam Howell week one next season? Like, that's exactly what that sounds like to me. A guy that would be more than happy to just say, you know what, this offseason, addressing the quarterback position, we're just going to bring in a guy that can help mentor Sam Howell, a guy that's been in the NFL for a while, can help with some of the ins and outs, tell him about some of the defenses and different things that come with being a professional football player. But he's not going for his job. He's just there to help him ask questions when he needs or answer questions when Sam has questions. But he's just there to help out. I'd be totally fine with Sam Howell going into the season. It sounds like Jahan Dotson is totally fine with it. How confident are you in Sam Howell as the starting quarterback next season? The MGM National Harbor listener lines are open at 800-636-1067. Again, 800-636-1067. And I think when you look at some of the numbers of Sam Howell and compare them to what we've had in D.C. the last couple of seasons, I, I don't see a reason he can't be successful. Look at Taylor Heineke over the last two years. And I'm a big Taylor fan. No issue with Taylor Heineke whatsoever, whatsoever, and I've enjoyed his time in D.C. It's been fun. I'd be fine him with him coming back as a backup. But this is his stats over the last two years. In 2021, when he played more games than he did this past season, 213.7 passing yards per game, 20 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. He rushed for 313 yards and a touchdown. This past season, didn't play as many games, so we're not going to look at like the overall numbers, but per game stats. 206.6 passing yards per game, down from 213.7. 12 touchdowns to 6 picks, so he improved his touchdown-to-interception ratio. 96 rushing yards and a touchdown. And last season, Washington overall ranked 20th in yards as an offense. 24th in points at 18.9 per game. 26th. In third down percentage, 35.2%. And 25th in red zone touchdown percentage at 51.1%. Like, I get that there can be some reservations because Sam Howell was drafted in the fifth round. And we've talked about this before. I don't view him as a regular fifth round quarterback. But even so, even if there are reservations about Sam Howell, you don't think he can be better than that? Again, 24th, 26th. 25th, 20th, all those ranks 
for Washington last season. And if you say, okay, well, my reservations about Howler, well, is he someone that's just going to turn the ball over? Because that would be my first thing, right? A young guy, is he going to be someone that's turnover prone? Listen to some of these numbers from when he was in college. He threw for 3,600 yards his freshman year, 38 touchdowns to seven picks. Then his sophomore year, thirty another 3,600-yard campaign, just under 3,600 yards, 30 touchdowns to seven picks. And then his junior year where he struggled, 3,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, nine interceptions. So the interceptions went up a little bit, but it's not like he was just turning the ball over all over the place. And then if you throw in his last year in college, he rushed for 828 yards and 11 touchdowns. The guy showed you he can add more to the game than just standing in the pocket throwing the ball around. And if your concern is, well, you know, Sam, the reason he struggled his junior year in college is because he didn't, he didn't have weapons around him. I mean, he, he wasn't able to carry the team. Guess what he has in D.C.? He's got weapons. You heard from one of them, Jahan Dotson. He's pretty fired up about Sam Howell. Terry McLaurin, I don't know if you saw this over the last week, Darius Slay put out his top five wide receivers he faced this past year. Number one was Justin Jefferson. Number two was number 17 for the Washington Commanders, Terry McLaurin. So he's got that guy on his team. Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson. He's got weapons on this football team. I'm interested to see what some of the reaction is here, but in terms of how I feel about Sam Howell going into next season, maybe I'm a little too overconfident just to hedge my bets a little bit, but I'm more than happy. I'm actually fired up that he has the option of being the quarterback next year. I was wondering if Ron Rivera would try to bring in one of these older veterans like a Derek Carr or a Jimmy Garoppolo or trade for a quarterback. I was wondering if he would. And the best news I heard this offseason, up until the Biennemi hiring and up until we get to the point that Dan Snyder hopefully sells this football team, was the fact that they were going to roll with Sam Howell. I'm excited about what he can do for this football team, but how confident are you guys? 800-636-1067, 800-636-1067 on the MGM National Harbor listener line. Want to get some of your reaction next here on Overtime on 106.7, The Fan. I know he's ready for the opportunity. He has all the talent in the world, literally he, he can make every single throw on the football field, and he, he makes it look effortless. There you heard from Jahan Dotson earlier this week on Grant and Danny as he was talking about Sam Howell. How confident are you in Sam Howell as a starting quarterback next season? 800-636-1067. If you want to give us a call on the MGM National Harbor listener line, want to get to some of your phone calls. Let's get out to Little, who's in Bowie. Little, what's going on, man? Hey, hey, thank you for taking my call. Bismillah. Hey, man, I'm adamant about this this young kid, man. If I was him, I'd be looking at tape from the Kansas City quarterback, and I'd be working on my footwork. Mm -hmm. I hope you're listening, uh, Mr. Howe. I think I hope you're listening. Footwork is important. If we get that down, Pat, man, I'm looking for big things to happen. It's a good good omen that Coach Rivera is going to let him work with the first team. That's what this is all about. Everybody else not, not going to hit him on the wall. Think, you know, he's going to work with the first unit. And I'm adamant about this young man. If he get that footwork down, Pat, man, I can see some big things happening, man, with the weapons we got. Little, Bismillah, man. Appreciate Enjoy it, man. yourself. Stay up. God bless. 
Absolutely. Appreciate the phone call. Now, I will say, he you know, maybe needs to work on the footwork. I don't know if Patrick Mahomes is the best one to learn footwork from. That dude kind of does things his own way at times. But I do wonder, too, Eric Bieniemy. I don't know how many options he had in terms of offensive coordinator positions. And maybe it was just kind of a formality that he was planning on coming to D.C. and they kind of worked all this stuff out before. I'm not sure. But how much does Sam Howell play into Eric Bieniemy choosing D.C.? You think about Patrick Mahomes and the ability he has, and he's able to run all around. He can make all the throws. He's got the arm to do all that. I think, but more importantly, he can just do everything that you can ask a quarterback to do. And when you look at Sam Howell, not comparing the two, I'm not going to get that far ahead of myself. I'm just saying, when you look at the tools in his toolbox, he can make all the throws. You heard from Jahan that he feels like he can do a little bit of everything. In college, his senior year, he rushed for almost 900 yards, 830 his junior year. So he can do a little bit of everything. And I wonder if that wasn't part of what drew Biennemi here is, look, I got the opportunity to work with a guy that isn't going to limit my offense. The only thing that limits my offense with Sam Howell is he's not six foot five. That's it. He's beefy enough that if he takes a couple of hits on some quarterback draws or quarterback powers, he'll pop back up. He's fine. If I want to run a 15-yard out route, and it's a timing route, and I need someone that can put the ball on a line, he can do that. If I need someone that can fit the ball in over the corner, but in between the safety, layer the ball like that, Sam Howell can do that. I need a guy that can hit a guy on a rope 60 yards down the field because I'm going to use Terry's speed. Well, he showed you in the Dallas game he can do that. So I think Sam Howell can make all the throws like Jahan has mentioned. I think his running ability is going to be utilized a lot, especially as he gets worked into comfortability in the pros. So I think when it comes to me with Sam Howell, I'm very confident. Let's get another call here. Let's get out to Ralph, who's in D.C. Ralph, what's going on, man? Everything's good. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I think he's going to be a good quarterback because, you know, I watched him in college when he was in college. And now that he reunite with um, – I forgot his name, Diami. Mm-hmm. And now our, what we already got in that offensive um, wide receiver room, man, it ain't nothing but up for him, man. I mean, if he mess, if he can't get this done, man, he might as well just give it up, man. Because this offensive room that we got for the running backs and wide receivers, it ain't nothing but going up, man. And I'm thinking that's what's going to happen with Sam Howell at the Hamlet. Man. 100%. Me what, Ralph, appreciate the phone call. And that, I think, is the important part going into this offseason. And I I think that needs to be outside of figuring out your own guys. Like, Cam Curl needs to get an extension, figure out what's going to happen with Deron Payne, whether he's going to play on the tag or you're going to sign him long-term. I already talked about the fifth-year option with Chase. Outside of that, I think the most important thing is making sure that Eric Bieniemy has the tools to make sure that Sam Howell is going to be extra comfortable in the offense so that he doesn't feel like he has to be the guy. Right, So what does that entail? I think he's got the weapons outside in terms of receivers. I think he's got the running backs necessary. I think the offensive line needs to be improved. I'm interested to see if they try to upgrade the tight end position. 
I, I like some guys in the draft. I just don't feel like the wisest choice for Washington right now is to try and take an early tight end. But I wouldn't be opposed to them doing so if if the right opportunity presented itself. But I think the number one priority there has to be the offensive line. you got to fix that. One other thing that hasn't been talked about as well is when you look up and down the depth chart for the receivers, obviously the top three stands out. They brought over Marcus Kemp from Kansas City, who probably take Cam Sims' spot as the tall guy, but primarily a special teamer. Deami Brown was Sam Howell's teammate at North Carolina, and he's one of those guys that left before Sam Howell had a little bit of a drop-off his junior year. Do we see him get unlocked a little bit and see him used a little bit more because there's already a chemistry between Howell and and Deami Brown? Do we see maybe a little bit more of that? And the thing that I like, too, with having the enemy in the building to work with all these guys is you know that the little details are going to be worked out and worked on. And so Sam Howell is going to feel as comfortable as possible because it's not going to be this guy does this a little bit differently. Terry runs his route like this, but Jahan's more like this. Curtis doesn't really cut as well here, and he does more of this. Like, those guys are going to be running crisp, the same sort of routes, so that Sam understands what exactly to expect. And the thing I'm probably most excited about, too, is a lot of what Kansas City does, especially this past year, was quick. But when they're at their best, they do a lot of good stuff off schedule. And I think one thing that has been lacking because of who's been playing quarterback for Washington in the last couple of years is some off-schedule things. And you say, oh, well, Taylor's awesome when he's running around outside the pocket. But Taylor doesn't have the kind of arm to be rolling right out to the numbers and rip a 30-yard pass over the middle of the field to an open receiver. Sam can do that. And I think some of these off-schedule things, some of these extra throws that maybe aren't drawn up in practice, some of this extra stuff that they're going to work on and scramble drill, I think you're going to see a really good season out of the offense. Now, I don't know how much it's going to improve off of these numbers. I don't know that it's going to go from the 20th and yards to 10th. I don't know that points are going to go from 18.9 up to 24. I don't know exactly what kind of things you're going to expect in terms of where they'll rank in the NFL, but I think they'll be better. Again, this is all he has to be better than. 213.7 passing yards per game for Heineke in 2021. 20 touchdowns and 15 picks. 300 rushing yards and a touchdown. That's all he has to be better than. If Sam Howell goes out there and throws for 3,800 yards, throws for 3,900 yards, throws for, you know, 20, 21, 22 touchdowns and only eight picks, guess what? You got better quarterback play. And that's not even including what he's going to give you on the ground, which I'd assume he probably is going to rush for at least a minimum of probably 500 yards next year if he plays the full season at starting quarterback. I think that Sam Howell can really improve this offense. How much? And is he like the franchise guy for the next decade? I don't know. But I think that next season, Sam Howell really, honestly, probably gives Ron Rivera his best chance at keeping his job because Best case scenario for Ron is Sam Howell goes out there, plays really well, and Washington's in the playoffs, 
maybe even winning the division. We know how this NFC East works where we know who's not going to win it next year, and that's the Eagles. But maybe they go out there and play well, win a playoff game, and it's because Sam Howell's playing really, really well. I mean, what honestly is saving Ron's job outside of a playoff appearance with a win? And Sam Howell might be the guy to do that just because his ceiling's higher than everyone else. Not saying that he's going to, but if they brought in a Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, how much is he improving the offense to the fact that you think that they could win a playoff game? I'm just not so sure. I want to continue talking about Sam Howell. There's also some quarterback questions going on around the NFL. Lamar Jackson continues to be a polarizing one. What's going to happen there? We'll talk about that next here on 106.7 The Fan. It's overtime. So as much as there is a little bit of uncertainty about the Washington QB situation, I think, I don't know what percentage you feel like it is that Sam Howell is going to be starting week one for the commanders, but I'd say it's over 50%. I feel like I'm pretty confident in thinking that he's probably going to be starting. I don't know that I can say that about Baltimore. What's going to happen with Lamar Jackson? It's an interesting saga with these teams. We've laid it out plenty of times here on this station. Again, if you're, you want to be caught up, if you haven't really understood what's going on, Lamar Jackson wants a huge deal. 230 plus million dollars guaranteed, and he wants it fully guaranteed just like Deshaun Watson's deal was. And again, real quickly, the reason the Ravens don't want to do that, injuries to Lamar Jackson. He's been injured the last couple of years. If you're Lamar Jackson, why do you want it fully guaranteed? The same exact reason. I've had injuries. I want to make sure that I get paid the money that I feel I deserve. But I think something interesting is maybe going to start a trend. I'd be interested to see if this starts a trend. With the NFL, the Ravens are supposedly considering placing the non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson. Now, the difference between the non-exclusive tag and the exclusive tag is a couple of things. First, the number uh, attached to it, right? The large contract attached to it. The non-exclusive tag, the starting point is $32.4 million. That's what he's going to get. And then the exclusive tag, goes up to $45 million. The other difference is non-exclusive means that other teams can negotiate a deal with him. Obviously, exclusive means that only the Ravens can. Now, the reason that this is interesting, and I wouldn't be surprised if more teams started looking at this, and the reason I really got started thinking about this is uh, I saw a tweet earlier today from Dave Kluge, who I believe is like a fantasy expert. Uh, does some fantasy football things. He says, savvy move by the Ravens to think about using the non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson. I'm not sure why teams don't use this more frequently. Rather than trying to guess a player's market value, let the other teams generate generate it and then decide if you're in or out. So the reason that this isn't done all the time is because you want to be the only team that negotiates with your guy, right? Like Washington's going through this with Deron Payne. You want to be able to negotiate it. You don't necessarily want other teams negotiating contracts with him because you don't want something to happen. And the other thing is, if I'm exclusively negotiating and I can't really come to a deal but I'm going to trade him, then I get to choose where I trade him. I also can get choose how much I get for him. So, for example, with the Deshaun Watson deal, he got three firsts. At least the starting point was three firsts. Now, if you only place the non-exclusive... If you decide not to match the deal, 
then it's only two first-rounders, and that's why maybe the Ravens wouldn't consider that right away. Lamar Jackson's worth more than two first-rounders. But here's where it's interesting. If they decide, you know what, we can't get a deal done with him, and Lamar is unique in the fact that he doesn't have an agent to work with, so it's him and his mom working with the Ravens trying to get a new deal done. They can't figure it out. Why don't I place the non-exclusive tag and let another team work it out for me? Right? Last night I laid out the way that maybe the Atlanta Falcons would be in on him. They were in on Deshaun Watson up until the last minute, and then the Browns decided to fully guarantee the contract for Watson, so he ends up going to Cleveland. The Falcons were in until the absolute last minute with Deshaun Watson. Why wouldn't they be willing to give a lot of money to Lamar Jackson, a guy with a lot less uncertainty around him? The uncertainty with Deshaun Watson is enormous. Will he ever get back to the point of being an elite quarterback? Will he play football again at that point when the trade was made? All those questions surrounded Deshaun Watson. You didn't even know the suspension time at that point. With Lamar Jackson, it's just about whether he's going to be on the field healthy or not, really, and if he can get you over the hump as an elite quarterback in this league. And, you know, those are questions that need to be asked, and those are legitimate concerns, but at the same point, you understand off the field there's really no issue with Lamar Jackson. But I think the non-exclusive tag here brings up an interesting point because if I'm the Baltimore Ravens and I've spent all this time trying to work out a deal and we just can't figure it out, we can't, Neither side is really budging. Maybe the Ravens have budged a little bit, but Lamar and his camp are saying, man, look, I want this thing fully guaranteed or I'm not taking it. Well, then, if I can't get this deal done, why wouldn't I let another team negotiate it and then I'll just match it? And then he's back with me. I can't figure it out. I can't do it. Atlanta, do it for me. Atlanta, you figure out what his market value is. Atlanta, you figure out exactly what his next contract is. And then I'll take over from there because I'll pay the check and I'll make sure he stays in Baltimore. But Atlanta, you do all the dirty work because I'm done. And then guess what? If it gets to an unreasonable number, you could still back out and say, I'll take my two first rounders for Lamar Jackson and I'll go home. Is Lamar worth more than two first rounders? 100%. But is it worth all the headache of trying to go through an exclusive franchise tag? Because that's another thing. If you can't get the deal done on the exclusive tag with Lamar Jackson, and you say, okay, well, I'm going to trade him. Well, if Lamar doesn't want to go there, he doesn't have to sign the tender of the franchise tag. And he's not under contract technically, so you can't trade him. So essentially, Lamar Jackson could choose what team he plays for next. And maybe that is Atlanta, and he would be fine with that, and they could work all that out. But I think this is an interesting idea, and maybe it's something we could see going forward. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's other ins and outs as to why the non-exclusive tag isn't used as frequently, or I believe it's also known as like the transition tag. I'm not sure if that's a, a little bit different. But I wouldn't be surprised if teams maybe started doing this because in other words, you're letting other people negotiate for you. And then at the last minute, you can walk in and take the goods and go home. Like you are figuring out all the details for me. And then at the end of the day, I'll pick up where you left off. I'll put my name on the paper. You sign back with me and I'll take my quarterback and go home. That's essentially what could happen here. I think that's really interesting. I really do. I think it's something that maybe you could see going forward with some of the more elite players, especially if a guy is worth approximately two firsts right around there and not Lamar's situation where he's worth three first, maybe even a little more than that. But if you could get a guy that's 
I mean, maybe Deron Payne or something like that, where he's in that situation where if you got two first, you'd feel pretty good about it. I don't know. It's an interesting dynamic that I think could be added into some of these contract negotiations in the offseason. One other thing I want to hit on before we get out of here and turn it over to Charlie and Dave down in West Palm Beach. I want to talk about the NFL Combine as today's the last day of that down in Indianapolis. Yesterday, the quarterbacks were on the field. They were on the field during overtime yesterday. I want to talk about some of the takeaways overall from the quarterbacks at the Combine. Also, just overall takeaways from the Combine altogether down in Indianapolis. We'll do that next as we wrap up overtime here on 106.7 The Fan. Final segment here of Overtime on 106.7 The Fan before we turn it over to Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler down in West Palm Beach. I want to finish by talking about the NFL Combine. Now, the NFL Combine for team executives and players and things are obviously important. For consumers like us, I don't know how important it is other than to remind us how freakishly athletic all these dudes are. Like today, the offensive linemen are going through and the running backs. Listen to this. Dewan Jones of Ohio State, a guy that I'd be interested in if he were there in the second round for the Commanders. 6'8", 374, and he ran a 5'3". <laughs> that, that's moving. In case you're like, oh, he didn't run in the fours, you go out and run the 40-yard dash. You're probably running in the fives, the sixes. That dude's as fast as you and three times bigger than you. So, <laughs> I don't it's incredible seeing these athletes. But in terms of the combine, I think it's good for a couple of things. One, for these players to show off and see how crazy athletic they are. It works to maybe reinforce some of what you've seen on tape of these guys. And also, it does the thing that every single year it seems to do with someone in the draft. It skyrockets someone's draft stock despite the fact that their game tape isn't that great. And I think we can all guess who this year's dude is. And he's coming out of Florida. And his name's Anthony Richardson. Not to say that Richardson isn't a really good athlete. Not to say that he can't have a really good NFL career. But this dude's probably going in the top 10. I think there's a chance that he could go in the top 5. And I think he completed 53% of his passes in college. Just because one guy does it and Josh Allen and goes to the NFL and figures out how to straighten out his drive, so to speak, as we're watching golf here in the studios, just because he's able to work on his accuracy and figure it out a little bit doesn't mean that everyone can do it. And I think that some team is going to take a shot on Anthony Richardson, who will see exactly how he pans out, and I'm interested to see exactly how that goes. But that's a big storyline coming out of the Combine is Anthony Richardson really showing out. A couple other storylines. Well, real quick, on the Richardson thing to, to finish up here. 6'4", 244 for Richardson, as big as Cam Newton, and he ran a 444, where I believe Cam Newton was in like the 4'6", 4'7", 40-and-a-half-inch vertical. Like He's a freakish athlete, but I just don't see him being a refined NFL quarterback. A couple things for me, storylines that uh, coming out of the NFL Combine. I think for me, it just reinforced the fact after seeing some of the throws and seeing how other draft analysts have kind of reacted to yesterday's throwing session at the NFL Combine for the quarterbacks. C.J. Stroud is my top quarterback in this class. I know that Bryce Young 
is going to be a solid quarterback. Size concerns me a little bit, but I, I, I'm not one that's going to be overly concerned about that. But I just think in terms of best quarterback, best thrower, NFL translates best to C.J. Stroud's game. So I'm going to take Stroud at the top, then probably Bryce Young. But Richardson probably jumps ahead of Will Levis at this point. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. A couple other ones, the wide receivers. A guy that seems to slide under the radar, and I'm not sure why this happens, because you did this with Jamar Chase, and there wasn't an issue when he got into the NFL. Jackson Smith and Jigba had one of the best college seasons in a while, had probably the greatest game ever by a wide receiver in the Rose Bowl a couple years ago against Utah, 300-plus yards receiving. And for whatever reason, he's not viewed as a top NFL draft pick or the top wide receiver in this class. I get that he didn't play a whole lot this year with some hamstring issues, and maybe that's a little bit concerning. But in terms of best receiver available, to me, it's got to be Jackson Smith and Jigba. Maybe they're a little worried that he can't translate to the outside, and I get that maybe some of that is a concern if you already have a slot receiver. But even so... Some of his numbers in the short area quickness with the three cone and the shuttle, all those different things, was very elite. So one of the best change of direction receivers in this draft. I wouldn't be surprised to see someone decide that he's worth taking a shot on. And if he were the top receiver taken, in my rankings, I'd probably have him as the top receiver. The other guy, Jordan Addison, was interesting. He ran a 4-4-9. I would have him at the second top wide receiver in this class, even though other people are going to have other guys ranked ahead of him, maybe for their physical traits. When I look at Jordan Addison, he won the Boletnikoff Award with Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh. Then he goes out and plays well with Caleb Williams out of USC. I don't think there's a better floor wide receiver in this draft than Jordan Addison. I'm interested to see where he goes. Again, I talked a little bit about this tight end class. Maybe Washington would consider a tight end in this class. They're all big dudes, so I'm interested to see what happens there. But I think a couple things that are really going to shake up the NFL draft. One, how the quarterbacks play out. We already addressed that. The other thing that I think is really going to shake up this draft, and it's going to be probably the most interesting storyline to monitor because it could impact the top 10 more than any other storyline as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft is this Jalen Carter situation. What's going to happen with Jalen Carter? You know, the whole situation with the speeding down in Georgia, his teammate and his staffer both dying in a car crash. Were they racing? I'm not going to get into all that because we don't know all the details, and I'm sure more and more is going to continue to come out from down in uh, Athens, Georgia, as things continue to be resolved down there. But what happens with Jalen Carter? Because it was between him and Will Anderson as the top defensive players in this draft. There was no question about either one of those guys being the top guy, and there was no problem with either of those guys being the top guy. And then outside of that, it was the quarterbacks that were the question marks. And I wouldn't have been surprised if Chicago was going to stay set at one, that they would just say, you know what, we're fine with it because we get a really, really, really good interior defensive lineman in Jalen Carter, one of the best interior defensive linemen coming into the league in years. And now, is it something where these concerns allow him to drop outside the top 10? Is someone still going to scoop him up in the top five? 
I think there's a lot of question marks around Jalen Carter, a guy that might be the most sure thing coming out of this NFL draft. Him and Will Anderson are still going to be the top two defensive players in this draft more than likely. I think the corner showed out at the NFL Combine. I think you're going to see a lot of corners go early. I think this is going to be an intriguing draft to watch, and I'm excited to see exactly what Washington does at 16, and we're going to continue covering that all the way up until the draft. You can catch here on 106.7 The Fan as more and more draft coverage is going to keep going and going, especially now that the Combine's wrapped up. You're going to start seeing guys with more and more mock drafts coming out, all these things. It's going to be great. All right, we're going to wrap up here. Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler are going to come up next. They're going to be talking about the Nats, taking your phone calls down to spring training. Make sure you keep it right here on 106.7 The Fan. That's going to do it for overtime. I'm Toby Altizer for my guy Donald running all the fun stuff behind the scenes. Appreciate you guys listening in. Until next time, we'll see you later.